Cranberry juice. What is it, your period? Call it. You mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. He slimed me. That's great! Actual physical contact! I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown? I amuse you? In this town, your luck can change just that quickly. Were you in the shit? Yeah, I was in the shit. Ooh, that's a bingo! <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Take Two podcast, the inaugural episode. This podcast, people, if you are movie lovers, you're going to love us. My name is Wesley Boone. I'm joined by one of my best friends in the whole world, Andrew Scher. Andrew, introduce yourself, man. What's up, guys? I am Andrew, uh, as Wesley just said. I just, I think, we just love movies. Put it that way. I think we, we love them. <laughs> we love them, and we think we know them. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if you're... For better or worse. For better or worse, we think we know them. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, hey, I just, you gotta join us for the ride. I think, you know, I, I think movies are a great thing. And, you know, whether you're listening to this as a movie lover or just someone who's intrigued to hear about the Bond trailer or something, just try to get lost in it. That's the, uh, that's the fun about movies. Yeah. Sit back, have some fun with us. We're going to give you some news. We're going to have some fun ourselves. Uh, it's kind of the Irishman. episode. The Irishman. We're going to talk about the Irishman at some point. It's, it's going to be a fun episode. We're going to be kind of feeling our way through things. It is the first time. So be patient with us, but uh, I, I feel a good place to start our first show off with is it's been a big week for movie trailers. It just has been. And uh, we're going to start things off by talking about the new trailer for Daniel Craig's final turn as James Bond. Andrew, I know you're a fan of uh, Daniel Craig's portrayal of James Bond. I feel like for our generation, um, we're always probably going to prefer him. What did you think about this trailer? What I liked most about the trailer is I think I think it's impossible to watch that trailer and know what's going on, if, if that makes sense. I, I think they it did does. a good job of, of teasing it. They did a good job of of not giving us too much to go off of, except you see everyone who's coming back. Um, you see Jeffrey Wright is back for the first time since Casino Royale, and you see that he's still got a badass car that spins in circles <laughs> and shoots people. So it was it was cool. Um, it was also, I'm super excited for Rami Malek. Um, they didn't give me a lot of Rami Malek, which, while I can see why a lot of people might be upset with that, but for, for, for the first trailer, I love it. I, I don't want a lot to know about this movie. We've seen with Bond. We've seen all these. We've seen back and forth. We've seen Casino Royale be good. We've seen Quantum of Solace be iffy. We saw um, Skyfall be tremendous. And we've seen Spectre be, you know, a letdown, kind of, to some people. So it's it's cool to hope that we're going to get a, a good last James Bond movie for uh, Mr. Daniel Craig. Well, one of my favorite things about this James Bond series is that um, they've they've dealt with an aging Bond in a very interesting way. And it, it's funny to look at the parallels between sort of James Bond and the audience that's watching James Bond, because um, there are people much older than us, Andrew, that grew up with this character who uh, who are, you know, uh, you know, past midlife at this point. Um, and I feel like for the first time effectively in this series, 
they've tackled an aging James Bond. I'm a huge Daniel Craig fan. You know that. I'm, I, I've always been interested in his work. And this trailer just gave me kind of everything I wanted. You talked about all of the returning pieces. You've got Ben Wishaw. You've got Naomi Harris. You've got Ralph Fiennes. You even have a little cameo from Christoph Waltz, who, in my opinion, the most disappointing turn as a Bond villain in this series. I was, dude, after Skyfall, man, I was so psyched for Spectre. <laughs> Skyfall was one of my favorite movies of that year. Skyfall completely took me uh, took my breath away. And then Spectre kind of was kind of disappointing. And I, think, it, you, I sure. think you remember this, too, is after Spectre, especially the way it was critically received, I, I a lot of us thought, hey, Daniel Craig is probably done as Bond. Um, he said that. He, he said did. that. He, he was quoted, which is insane. If you did not know this, people of the podcast, he was quoted as saying he would rather die than play yep. James Bond again. And, and, I, and I, gonna, I believe this. I believe the specific quote was he would rather slit his own wrist than play James Bond again. So it's like because because and, and I mean, look and look. If you look at the way he looks in those movies, you understand why. It takes a lot of hard work yeah. to be cut, especially as you're Daniel Craig and you continue to get older. So, like, I get it. I totally understand. And then especially the way the movie was critically received. Sam Mendes, you know, coming back for his second time through after Skyfall, Skyfall being the hit that it was, and then Spectra really kind of universally yeah. being a letdown. It so was. It was all kind of up in the air, and then... Carrie Joe Fakunga comes in there. I mean, obviously, he's the guy behind True Detective, Maniac. I'm very excited to see oh, what yes. he's going to bring to this franchise. And like you said, Rami Malek as a Bond villain, it's perfect. Uh, and, and you said it best. If you're following the formula of awesome Bond movie to so-so Bond movie, we're due for an awesome Bond movie. So I, I feel like this is going to be one uh, that is going to be huge in 2020. And another movie that's going to be huge in 2020. Uh, I mean, all of these movies are huge, but it's the next installment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Andrew. And I know you're excited about this one. Yeah, Black Widow uh, kicking off Phase Four. Um, excited is a is a word that I need to use lightly here. I'm excited to get the next phase. As someone who who basically binged the last three phases and got into Marvel. As Endgame was approaching, it's 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 kind of cool to get a fresh slate, right? I mean, you know, we, we know Tony Stark. Spoiler alert: if you live in a cave for the past five years, he's gone. Um, you know, Cap's gone. I mean, th these characters are gone. We're getting new characters. So, to have Black Widow, to have Natasha Romanoff as her as the kickoff to Phase Four, it's got me not super excited. It's got me intrigued. Um, I just I think we've talked about this, Wesley. I mean. This is a movie that we know is going to be after Civil War and between and, and before Infinity War. So, I mean, you know, I just mentioned these characters who were not coming back. I totally forgot to mention Romanoff is dead. Uh, it, so it's it's weird to know that we're we are watching a movie of someone who has expired. They're gone. So my hope here is that um, you know we we're, we we're getting David Harbor. He's the Red Guardian. He's Russia's <laughs> Captain America. We're getting Florence Pugh, my queen. We all will stand Florence Pugh over the next year or so. And when when um, Little Women come out, I'm sure it'll be more critically received that Florence Pugh is here. Um, but you know, we're getting her as 
Yelena Belova, who in the comics is the second Natasha Romanoff. She's the one who joins them. And so I'm hoping that we get her introduced to the Marvel C- Cinematic Universe. That would be awesome. So my hope here, Wesley, to sum this all up, is I hope we get a movie that we can attach ourselves to these characters and see them move forward. I hope this isn't a movie that it's kind of just um, one in the chamber and it's done. You know, that, that's 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 what I'm scared of. Well, that's an interesting... That's an interesting expectation there though because i mean how can it not just be one in the chamber if you look at the fact that you know natasha is gone and this movie and we we've had conversations about this before and i find it so funny that you know the mcu has been around for a decade and we're already back in the nostalgia sandbox for characters who haven't even been gone that long and there's also an interesting conversation i think to be had about you know, the, the, the lack of female representation in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, at least when it comes to um, female-centric driven movies. You know, uh, last year, a lot of critical, uh, at least a lot of people were being very critical of the fact that, hey, you know, this, the MCU's been around a decade. We're just now getting a female solo movie in Captain Marvel. Um, and fans have been, I feel like, kind of clamoring for a Black Widow movie for a while. So this feels like, uh, for me, at the kind of ultimate fan service. Hey, the character's yes. gone, but we're going to revisit her one last time. Um, there's a lot of differing opinions about how, you know, Natasha's send-off was handled in Endgame. Uh, that, that was one of the more sort of controversial things about Endgame. That uh, people, I know people who universally loved it, who, you know, kind of wish that they would have seen or uh, maybe she would have been given a better send-off. Um I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's subjective, but uh, I'm, I'm excited. I love Rachel Weiss. You want to talk about standing Florence Pugh? <laughs> She's phenomenal. She's great. Rachel Weiss has been consistently excellent for at least two decades now, and I'm excited to see her turn in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I'm very interested to see how they make this relevant to kind of the story moving forward, this kicking off Phase 4, like you said, uh, we're, we're going to have multiple Marvel movies next year. It's very interesting to me that this is the one that they choose to start off phase four with a character who isn't around anymore, but you know, Marvel they're, they're They've always got stuff up their sleeve and that's, see, that's got some things they're not telling us. You mentioned that. Um, so going off of that, I, you mentioned it. Um, how could it not be one in the chamber? Do you think that it's possible that, cause I feel like, I mean, look, we can see, maybe we see Florence Pugh. We see David Harbor, in this movie, we're introduced to them. Do you think along the lines, it's like, okay, Romanoff's gone, so here comes, I don't know, Florence Pugh, the new Black Widow. Like, I feel like I feel like that's possible. I mean, I don't know if it's likely, but it could be possible. It's 100% possible, especially knowing Marvel and also knowing their ability to seamlessly retcon things uh, to make fans happy. Uh, it, it's, it's very possible that, you know, you, you saw the reaction to the way Romanoff was sent off, you introduce a character like this in a Black Widow standalone movie. Uh, and obviously, this character hasn't existed in this universe up to this point, even right, though yeah. the movie, you know, is taking place two or three movies ago. So it's, it's. I mean, Marvel knows what they're doing. I trust them. I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to kind of get another spy thriller. One of my favorite Marvel movies is Captain America, the Winter, Winter Soldier. Soldier. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to maybe get something in the same vein as that. And I mean, one last turn with Natasha Romanoff. I'm not going to complain about that. <laughs> uh, 
so kind of moving away from the MCU and into another phenomenal franchise uh, that has been helmed by Matt Reeves, at least the last two installments, both of them phenomenal. Uh, things were sort of shook up a bit whenever Disney bought Fox. This was one of those properties that was up in the air, and that property is the Planet of the Apes franchise. Now, the last two installments, you had, uh, I believe it was Rise of the Planet of the Apes and War of the Planet of the Apes, both phenomenal movies, great entries, my two favorite entries in a franchise that I didn't really care about that much before these movies existed. Uh, they've decided, hey, we're, we're going to keep playing in that sandbox a little bit, and they've tapped Wes Ball of the Maze Runner fame to helm this movie. Now, Andrew, I don't know your opinions on the Maze Runner movies, but uh, is this a move that excites you? Um, in a way. I think it depends. I think you haven't hit on it yet, but it depends on where they go with it. I mean, we do not know if they are going to re reboot the, uh, the original novel or if they're going to pick up where they took off. My guess yeah. is West Ball has made over a billion dollars with the Maze Runner film series. I mean, he has raked in the money. If I had to guess, they're bringing him in to reboot the franchise and make an, 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 a, a kind of an original or an original maybe storyline. And I think that gets me more excited than anything. Um, I was never a big Planet of the Apes guy. I mean, obviously, we all saw Planet of the Apes as a kid. For our age, that would be the 2001 version with Mark Wahlberg, one of the yeah. worst movies probably, in my opinion, um, that I've seen. As a, as a kid, I loved it. As a kid, I Oh, yeah. It. That, that, I was a huge fan. That is a pro prime movie that you watch as a child, and then you start liking movies, and you watch 15 years later, and you're like, oh, my God, this was, this it was did, not. This did not age well. <laughs> this did not age well at all. Not at all. But I look, I, I loved Rise Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I was so enamored of that movie in high school. I saw that in high school. And then Dawn of the Planet of the Apes I liked as well. But, I mean, I don't know. War of the Planet of the Apes did not do it for me. It disappointed me personally. What? It, it did. Oh, I know. Oh, my God. It did. I, I, it, uh. it, it, it's it's an unpopular opinion, I know. Uh, I I see. Rise to me was the weakest one, and then Matt Reeves sort of entering and sort of making it his own thing. I mean, I was enamored by Dawn, and I thought War was just the, the perfect send off to a franchise was, that look but, after, but, after Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I wasn't even sure if I was going to invest my time in the rest of the franchise, uh, but then but then Dawn comes, and I'm like, whoa, this is what I wanted. Um, I, I, that. I, I think Rise was obviously Rise. I love, I love. I don't know if origin stories is the way to put it. I loved seeing how this got to where it was. I was never a big Planet of the Apes fan as a kid. I mean, I saw the movie, but I was just like, kind of whatever. Saw it, whatever. I love James Franco. I just loved seeing this thing come to power. <laughs> I remember leaving that movie and thinking. Okay, I want more of this. What's going to happen next, right? Um, and I, I like the next one, and um, I didn't really. God. The last, I mean, the last. It was, it was, it was really, it was, it was mesmerizing to look at. It was put together well, but I just, it didn't. I don't know. It, it didn't really. But see, all, all, but you know, just, just to make everything be put together here, all of them did not really shake me in a way to where I was like, I love these movies to death. So I'm not like a huge fan, I will say that much. Well, but it's, I, it's funny you say that because um, really from a box office standpoint, all of these movies, they turned a profit for 20th Century Fox, but they weren't really 
uh, they didn't really light the world on fire. And if I'm being completely honest with you, this past version of the Planet of the Apes is a portion of the story that hadn't been told before, yes. But also, I don't think you can you can play in the Planet of the Apes world any better than this. So um, my, my kind of rule for remakes, reboots, uh, anything of that nature is unless you have a story that you feel like is either better than what's already been told or essential to people understanding the story, then don't go for the cash grab. And at the time, that's what it looked like this Planet of the Apes series was going to be, and it wasn't. It was made by some people who really cared about that world and put a lot of time and energy into it. Personally, I don't see anything Wes Ball can do that I'm going to care about, especially if you're not continuing the story of Caesar and Andy Serkis's character, who gives, in my opinion, one that's of the, the top thing. five performances of the past decade. That's uh, the thing. That's that's the thing. Not- Andy Serkis. That's the thing. Because I mean, like you said, I mean, like you're saying, I mean, yeah, I mean, Andy Serkis. I mean, literally was put on the map for that. And I mean, we know he play, he was in Lord of the Rings, and he was awesome in that. But he did Caesar, and it was just like, boom. And so I wonder. I mean, well, I Caesar mean, also of... dies. Caesar also dies in the last one. So <laughs> yeah. it's it's also so again. I mean, if I'm being honest, I didn't want any more Planet of the Apes when I got it this last time, and I, I ended up being pleasantly surprised. So to kind of summarize, I mean, I have no opinions or feelings on West Ball. I could not make it through one Maze Runner movie, so I don't know how they were. I started the first one, and I never finished it. I didn't care for it. So, um, personally, you know, it, it, it hits theaters. I'll give it a shot the same way I gave, uh, I gave what, Rise of the Planet of the Apes a shot. But to be perfectly honest, it's one of those things I have, I'm really tepid about. I just I don't know what else you can do there. So much more you can do, except I think, like you said, I, I'm, I'm preparing for a reboot cash grab that's what i think it's gonna be but i could be wrong i guess we'll see speaking of cash let's take a look at the box office from this past week uh, and sort of lead into a box office preview of this weekend it's a slow weekend but it was not a slow weekend this past weekend thanksgiving week one of kind of the biggest weeks of the year for movies especially as we start inching closer towards the end of the year studios trying to get in their 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 oscar contenders and there were a couple that opened in the last two weeks some some award season contenders for a couple studios but really the big focus of the last two weeks has been frozen too and it has lit the world on fire 13 days it's been out for less than two weeks andrew it's made 300 million dollars domestically and andrew kind of if if you can can you summarize what, for you personally, what do you think enamored the public so much about Frozen? Because oh my I, god, I, I, I really, I really <laughs> don't, I really don't know. I really don't know if Disney knew what they had whenever the first Frozen came out. I felt like it sort of took the world by storm. So, what are some things from Frozen that you think have really resonated with people, and obviously have made it sort of one of the the, the mega franchises here in the last five years? We know that animated movies are kind of like, I mean, we, we, we think of movies, maybe we don't think of animated movies, but they kind of, 
I don't know how to say it. Uh, they, they they keep the lights on, right? I mean, they just the, you put out animated movies and they make tons of money. And when w- when Disney came out with Frozen back in 2013, no, I don't think they knew what they had. I think they knew they were making a new movie. They they kind of rolled with it. Took the world by storm. Um, Let It Go was on the radio. It was Billboard Top 100. I mean, it took the world by storm. And I'm a Disney obsessor. Um, I think <laughs> I think people. It's just as simple as this. Animated movies make a lot of money, um, and this is just one that resonates with every female child ages two to ten. And I think in a world where kids love their technology, they love their tablets, they love animated movies, they love TV. It's that's that's where we live in. I just think. I just think they have it. I don't know. I, I think you have these two characters. You have two great actresses, by the way. Kristen Bell and Dina Menzel are talented as can be. So, you know, you compare it to like a Toy Story where Toy Story, I think they're just great films, obviously. And they have great actors who participate in them. And then you look at Frozen, you have two of the more talented vocalists, in my opinion. I mean, and Dina Menzel is a baller, to say the least. And I just think <laughs> it's a movie that... It, is, it was in the middle of that Disney wave. Everybody loved. Kids obsessed over. Kids who it was before their time, they still got to watch it. And it, and it became this thing to where, um, put it this way, I have un, unnamed friends who, a little bit younger than me, I, I think they are a couple. They, they were around 15 at the time, and they went to go see it when it came out. And I think people our age or younger than us, they it grew with us too. And I think it's this is just a a franchise that grew and it's just going to grow. And you have kids who came after Frozen who Frozen came out in 2013. They were born in 2014 and now they're five and a half years old and they could know every word to the song too. And I just think Disney, uh, it just, they just hit the jackpot. I don't know what else to say. And it's, it's just something that's resonated. I mean, this has a, I mean, not domestically, but total, I think this has an outside chance at a billion dollars. Oh no, it's, 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 it's definitely going to reach a billion dollars. And I think you made, um, a very good point there. It just came out at a time where I feel like people were clamoring for something new from Disney. And this was it. It just, this was it. This was what resonated with everyone. And um, kind of like you said, it's, it's now you've got five and six year olds who grew up kind of on the first one a little bit. They're excited to see the second one. This movie is going to carry, in my opinion, all the way through February. And it's more than like, it's definitely a lock for an Oscar nomination for Best Animated Picture. And it might be a lock for a win. Uh, just, I mean, it's, it's either that or Toy Story 4 in a lot of people's eyes. Uh, obviously, the trophy is probably going to stay in Walt Disney's cabinet. But kind of looking at a, a couple other releases here from this past week, it was a busy Thanksgiving week. Knives Out, a phenomenal film from Ryan Johnson. A great time. Andrew, I was so excited to see this movie resonate with adult audiences and make some money. It made about $41 million over its five-day release. And it just sort of, I feel like in an environment and a world right now where you have a lot of people who, you know, uh, Everything's run by franchises. It just feels like if it's not a franchise, if it's not something with a familiar, uh, a familiar IP that people don't care about. People care about this movie. They've gone to the theater to see it. 
Uh, it's already turned a profit for Lionsgate. I think it's going to hold really well. I think it's it has an outside shot of the last in the next two or three weeks, especially this week. This week, it's it's a lock for number two in my opinion. We'll preview what comes out this week, um, but it's got to stay in the top five for a little bit. Audiences are loving it. Also coming out last week, Queen and Slim, uh, sort of a movie. A lot of people I've been reading a lot of buzz um, around maybe this being get, potentially nabbing an Oscar for best original screenplay. Haven't got to watch it yet. I really want to watch it. Daniel Kaluuya is in it. Uh, it's got a solid cast. Uh, and then heading into fourth place this past weekend, the ultimate dad movie. We both. Yes. Loved it. We both loved it. Ford versus Ferrari. My God. Christian still Bale, going, still, still going. going. I'm so excited. And look, I think just to jump in really quickly here, they've done a good job of, I feel like they keep marketing this sucker. And I oh, like, yeah. I'm glad they are. I, I saw so many commercials. I remember seeing Ford versus Ferrari before Thanksgiving. And I guess, I mean, typically, maybe you want to market some things over Thanksgiving because people are home, people are not at work, and they're going to go see movies. But man, I'm just so happy that, you know, I tweeted it out that I hoped Ford versus Ferrari made the appropriate amount of money for how great of a film it was. It's, one of, it, it's in my top five this year. Um, and I loved it. And I'm just glad that it's still making money. Just, I'm so happy. It's still making money. I think it's poised to continue making money moving forward here, too. Uh, it's one of those movies that, especially whenever you start looking at the landscape of releases, and if I, I, everyone has their own opinions on this, but it sure feels like a lot of the time there's not a lot of movies being made for adults. And mm -hmm. you, you release things like Knives Out, you release things like Ford vs. Ferrari. You release things like A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. You start putting some things out there that are, are going to appeal to people who, you know, not necessarily care about, you know, the next the next Marvel movie. They're not standing in, in line for the next superhero movie with everyone else. They, they want something uh, a little bit more conventional. It's nice to see these movies make money and succeed. Ford, Ford vs. Ferrari, not quite sure what the reported budget is i think this movie's gonna hold really well because i think it has an outside shot of landing some nominations for its lead actor so that's something uh over the next couple weeks we'll keep our eyes on as we start inching towards the new year january we'll we'll get those nominations out and i'm sure we'll have a uh, a nice long discussion about that rounding out the top five a beautiful day in the neighborhood speaking of award season contenders this just feels like a lock for Tom Hanks, right? To at least be nominated for playing oh, Mr. Yes. Rogers. Another movie I haven't got to watch yet, but I have just only read and heard phenomenal things about his portrayal. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I mean, I, I haven't got to watch it yet. Is that something that appeals to you at all? <laughs> it's funny you say that. Um, I love Tom Hanks. Uh, I don't think anyone doesn't love Tom Hanks. If you don't I've, love Tom Hanks, I just get out of here. Turn it off. Turn it off. Um, oh, man. I mean, I probably would get flack from this from older people, but older people probably aren't listening to this. No offense if you're old. Keep listening. I, <laughs> I'm not really a Mr. Rogers guy. I um, How do I put this? I've always thought he was kind of creepy. I don't know why. <laughs> I just, I've never liked Mr. Rogers. It's funny you say that. You're not the only person who shares that sentiment. Here, but here's the thing, though. I love Tom Hanks, and I love, I stand Matthew Rice. 
uh, Rice Reese. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. I, I think love. It, I think it's Reese, but I think it's Reese. I I, I uh, watched the Americans from start to finish, um, pilot to conclusion. Uh, that was an amazing show. That he just, I mean, he commanded. He won two Golden Globes in that show. He won some primetime Emmys. He was awesome. And then he he comes back in the post, which I haven't seen yet, which is insane. But I've heard so I've heard that he was great in that, and I know he's a really underrated actor in my opinion. And he is the lead in this movie with Tom Hanks. And I I'm not saying he's going to win an award, nor should he. Maybe I haven't seen it, but I just I would love to see it for him. Put it that way. I would love to see this movie for him, and I would love to see Tom Hanks in it. Uh, Like I said, don't like uh, Mr. Rogers, but I would be interested in seeing it. So. you know, that being said, it's Tom on H- my list. It's on Tom my Hanks, list too. Tom Hanks for sure. I mean, we can just, I mean, I know I it's, he'll get a best supporting nomination. Um, that's going to be a lock, especially at the, um, we're, we're going to, on Monday we get the, uh, the golden globe noms. Uh, Hanks is going to get a best supporting for the, uh, for the Oscars and the golden globes. And, um, look, it might be him versus Joe Pesci, the way people are talking, uh, it's very possible. We'll, we'll get to that later, but I mean that's we will get you know, to that. And and Tom Hanks, though, I mean it's it, it could be a lock to win. Put it that hard way. Hard to beat old Tommy Hanks. We're gonna sprint through six through ten. Not a lot of details here. Twenty-one bridges, the Chadwick Bozeman vehicle. It's made twenty million dollars up to this point. That was rounding out the top ten. Midway, Roland Emmerich's extremely expensive independent film. The way it was financed is, in my opinion. Uh, a topic for an entire podcast itself. That came in at seven. The Good Liar, a movie I thoroughly enjoyed. Helen Mirren, Ian McKellen chewing up the screen. That came in at eight. Nine, Last Christmas, a movie I haven't got to watch yet that's right up my alley. I love a good rom-com. Uh, it, it hasn't performed very well, and it's not holding at all. It's slowly, I mean, it's, I say slowly, it's quickly uh, falling out of the top ten. I don't think it'll be, even be out around Christmas in the majority of theaters, the way it's going. And then number 10, such a random movie, Playing With Fire, John, a John Cena-led picture where he plays a <laughs> fireman. It's got John Leguizamo and uh, Keegan-Michael Key. Uh, it, it's just, it's a PG comedy. It's there. That there. They, it, it, it exists, and it's made almost $40 million so far. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, you know, six through, six through 10. I have a question for you. Do you think 21 bridges? I think it would have done better if it was a, I mean, not that they could have been possible. I think it would have done better if it was an earlier year release. I feel like the beginning of this year was not strong. And I feel like we hit October, September, October. We, we hit, put it this way. We hit the art of self-defense and once upon a time in Hollywood and it exploded. Do you think if 21 bridges was out earlier this year, it would have made more money? If I'm being honest with you, 21 Bridges felt like a late spring release, like an April release. Yeah. And they've been advertising this movie for the better part of a year now. And I don't really think STX knew what to do with it in terms of where to put it. Because I, this movie kind of snuck into theaters. And if you if you recall, Andrew, again, as someone who goes to the movies a lot, there was a while where this movie, especially early fall, was just like heavily advertised. And I thought, oh, that movie was coming out in September. And it, it didn't. And then it didn't come out in October. And I totally forgot about it. I forgot it was coming out in November, and I just thought that they could have done a better job marketing it. And yes, uh, I think would have put it in a more uh, strategic release date. Uh, you know, it's it's hit or miss with these studios, and uh, I felt like the whole thing was, hey, look, it's Chadwick Boseman, um, but also we've got the people behind the Avengers movies, the Russo brothers, they're executive producing it. Go watch it. 
And then, I don't know, it's just a crowded box office. And um, I, I, I think that this weekend, looking ahead towards what's coming out this December 6th weekend, the box office is getting a little bit of a break and we'll, we'll more than likely see Frozen 2 continue to dominate. And I, I say more than likely because, yes, it will come in first place, but how well will it continue to hold? Uh, because it had a huge second weekend last weekend. It's only competition, though, coming out this weekend. Playmobil, the movie. And, uh, you know, kind of in the vein of the Lego movies. Uh, feels like a cash grab. Feels like something to sell toys. This movie's been completed for a while. Uh, it is an animated movie. And for a lot of families who've already see, seen Frozen 2, who are trying to find something to do with the kids, there's a strong chance that, you know, instead of going to see Frozen 2 again, they bring their kid to see Playmobil the movie. So we'll see how much that hurts Playmobil move. Uh, excuse me, hurts Frozen. I, I don't think it's gonna it's gonna hurt them that bad. Then you've got a slew of limited releases. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. <laughs> so we'll keep an eye on the box office moving forward. We always will. And you know, don't be afraid to. Share your own box office projections in the comments, anything like that. You disagree with what you're saying? Let us know. Leave a review. It could be a bad review, a good review. It doesn't matter. We'll take any and all forms of constructive criticism. And speaking of constructive criticism, let's hop into our review of the week, a movie that was made for Andrew Sher. <laughs> I mean, it may have been specifically made for you. It's been in the works for over a decade, and of course, we're referring to Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, and it's only fitting that Andrew, sort of giving his opinion on the film, Andrew, talk about The Irishman stuff. Loved it. Um, you know, I, I know we, we're going to have some differ, differ, differing opinions on this, um, but look, I loved it. I think, you know, you look at Martin Scorsese, I mean, you look at, you look at Goodfellas, you look at even The Departed, you, you look at a lot of his movies, and... You know, he takes you on this journey, and I, I think, you know, it's a three-and-a-half-hour movie, which I know is probably a problem to some people, but, I, you know, I mentioned it before. If you if you, if you you watch The Office for four hours and you watch Scott's Tots, you can watch <laughs> The Irishman in one whole sitting. And, look, it's just, it's worth the ride. I think, you know, Scorsese takes you on this ride from the beginning, from when he meets Buffalino and... Uh, the Philadelphia crime family, and he goes into this adventure that eventually leads him to allegedly killing one of the most well-known people of the 1960s. I mean, you know, in Jimmy Hoffa, played by Al Pacino, and, you know, it was just, it, it was a story that I think definitely needed to be told. I love the story. I, I think, you know, wh whether you... I think whether you loved the movie or not, I think you can agree the story is incredibly interesting. And, you know, to see, to, to go with Frank Sheeran through his life and to see what he had to, who he came in contact with, what he allegedly did, what he dealt with, and then you kind of go towards the end of the movie. It's just, it's a ride that I enjoyed taking. Um, you know, it's slowed out of the gate for sure, but I just thought it was a great movie that, it, it just reminded you of, how much we're going to miss Scorsese and Pacino and Pesci and um, everybody in between when they're gone. So I, I love the movie and I, I just, um, 
I, I just I could say so much. I want to hear your facts, Wesley, because you know we'll get to it when we do top five Scorsese movies. But I love the genre, and I just I could go on for days. I know you could, and this movie for me, I I, I couldn't help but feel like, especially about after an, an hour and a half of the way through, um, for one that it felt uh, very familiar, um, and really about three hours in. Uh, that's when it stops becoming kind of like a, a greatest hits album for me. I, I felt like um, whenever you have someone like Scorsese, who's become so synonymous with the genre of gangster films and some of the best gangster films of all time sort of made, made by him, it, it, it's, it's easy to kind of be lulled into, okay, like, you know, this is this guy's playground. Um, how many things differently can you do in it? You've, You've seen, you know, I don't know, the jungle gym. You've seen him play on the monkey bars. He's going down the slide. It all feels familiar. Um, the last 30, 40 minutes of the movie is what really, in my opinion, separated this movie from things Scorsese's done before. Because um, in this movie, you have characters dealing with the fallout and the aftermath of their actions in a way that you don't see portrayed in the casinos of the world, in the Goodfellas of the world, um, watching Robert De Niro's character, Frank Schaefer, deal with the oncoming finality that is death and handle trying to atone for all this life full of sin. It, it's, it was, that was the most compelling part of the movie for me. Um, but it, it, it could have been made even more compelling if I was given a central protagonist to care more about because frankly uh i found myself having to find or at least i say i don't make it sound like a chore because it was super easy i felt like a lot of the secondary characters of this film are much more interesting than frank schaefer joe pesci gives a phenomenal performance this calm cool collected guy it was so nice to see him back on screen and then jimmy hoffa i mean al, al pacino does a phenomenal job commands the screen Every time he's on it, uh, I just found myself sort of caring more about their their journeys and not so much Schaefer's. And it, 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 it takes away, in my opinion, from some of what should be the movie's most resonant moments, especially the last 30, 40 minutes of the film, which, like I said, I absolutely loved and adored. Uh, but it could have meant more to me as an audience member uh, if I would have cared about Schaefer more. Now, the big discussion around this movie is something I'd love I'd love to get your take on, obviously, um, the anti-aging CGI technology used to make those uh, the, these 70-something-year-old men look younger. Uh, for the most part, the consensus has been it, it wasn't great. It simply wasn't great. Um, now, for you, Andrew, I know it didn't really take you out of the movie. For me, it was something that I noticed, and it was never more evident than like whenever there's an, a scene early in the film. Again, these reviews very spoiler ridden, uh, where Joe Pesci's helping Robert De Niro's character fix his car, and Joe Pesci calls Robert De Niro kid, and Robert De Niro looks like a sixty year old man. <laughs> That's and the worst. Just, I just, that oh. that that I mean. I mean, I've seen some mixed. I've seen a few film critics be like, okay, like, calm down. This isn't that bad. I 
there's two scenes in the movie where it bothers me. It's that scene for sure. I mean, that scene with the with the radiator belt, you get your belt fixed or whatever. That scene was the de aging was bad. It just looked it bad. bad. And I saw it. Um, obviously, I noticed it, and I was like, okay, this is you know this isn't great. But it, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know how much I can knock. I don't, I don't know. It, it, it didn't, it didn't really, it, it just kind of made me laugh because it's just like, hey, they're trying something here. I think the rest of the way, though, it was fine. I think, um, you know, I think the only time it was kind of weird was uh, when uh, Robert De Niro's daughter says that the store market guy pushed her. So De Niro goes to rough him up and it looked <laughs> like, it looked like if you, if you were sitting at home and you were trying to make money and you said, hey, Grandpa, let's go pretend to beat each other up in the backyard and we're going <laughs> to put it on YouTube and make a lot of money. You just look like an old man tr- pretending to kick people in the face. Did was, I notice it? Of it course I did. It of was course rough. I did. Was it almost that bad? Yes, it was. At the same time, though, I I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I couldn't imagine being like, well, I want to give this movie a... Uh, a ten out of ten, but I'm gonna give it a give it a nine. You know, I don't, I don't, I didn't really think it it, it did that well, bad. Um, you know, you we, know, it, we it, always it talk about how whenever you sit down to watch a movie, you know, you, there's an agreement you're making with the creators that hey, you know, for the course of the next you know two hours, and in this case three and a half hours, you know, I, I'm gonna buy into what you're selling me. I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt. Um, and you're right, it wasn't as bad as a lot of people are making it. Uh, at the same time, though, there are key moments where it just kind of kind of takes you out of the movie. And for me personally, I think there's an interesting conversation to have here about this de-aging CGI, because, I mean, Andrew, uh, movies were around for a very long time and this technology did not exist. And you know what they did? They just cast other people. They cast young people to play young versions of characters. And over the course of the last 10 years, you've really seen this technology evolve but it, it sort of started with these mcu movies uh, a huge a big example of it was uh in rogue one a star wars story they brought back an actor who'd been dead for 35 years had a ton of screen time peter i can't remember his first name but it, it, it was it was it's it's been a, a conversation started for the past decade and then here you go you have this movie where we're going to digitally de-age Pacino, De Niro, Pesci. Now, my issue with that is we grew up watching these movies. We know what they look like when they're 35 and 40. And it just simply wasn't like this. So, I, I, I mean, obviously, this gives you the chance to continue to make movies uh, with these guys as they age. But uh, some are asking the question, why not just cast younger people? And I think, I think that there is... Uh, I mean, there's there's something behind that. I mean, we used to do that, um, you know, and this digitally de-aging has, be, has been done better uh, in some cases than others. I think that it's been pulled off pretty well in the Ant-Man movies with Michael Douglas. Uh, and I, I didn't have an issue with how it was done in Rogue One. I thought they pulled it off as well. But uh, I'm interested to see how this technology evolves. I, I think because... I, I think also something about it. Not to cut you off is I think it's interesting that I, I almost I mean not just because it's Scorsese, but give them the benefit of the doubt for at least trying it. I mean, no one's ever done it to this level, right? Well, it's also funny you bring that up because 
you know, you, you, you look at another huge conversation around this movie is that it is a Netflix movie. And yep. um, I, I've seen people saying, you know, oh, this is a travesty that this movie's not in theaters, A, B, C, and D. But studios have literally had the opportunity to bankroll this movie for over a decade. This has been a passion project of Scorsese's for a long time. This, this, this uh, script has been out there for a long time. And it, it took Netflix with their flexibility to come in and say, hey, you make it. You spend what you want. You do what you want. Uh, so I, I find that interesting is, you know, you have someone like Scorsese who you feel is this film purist and here's a movie that most of the population is going to watch on their TVs and a lot of people are going to watch on a tablet or a phone. And it's just, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's weird the sacrifices that you end up making just, just to have your art made. So uh, I, I think overall um, for me personally, I really enjoyed it. I'm excited to get into uh, our, our, our next part here um, where we sort of cap what we believe to be our five favorite films uh, from this director. I'm going to let you start this one off because before, before I'm excited we, I, to hear yeah, what you have to say. Uh, one last thing about The Irishman. Who gets Best Supporting Actor uh, or Actress? Is it going to be Laura Dern and Little Women or, Little Women, or is it going to be Anna Paquin? I mean, if Anna Paquin gets nominated, then it's a weak year. It was a joke. She said seven words. She She said said seven words. words. (laughs) But look, that it wouldn't surprise me. It really wouldn't. Anna Paquin. I, I, I don't want to. I think Anna Paquin won an Academy Award as a child. No, no, Anna Paquin's great. It was just a joke. I mean, it was cool. It was actually funny though. Uh, Scorsese said about Anna Paquin. Said. Her popularity and how great she is of an actress actually probably resonates with people that it helped make people realize Frank Sheeran's kid hates him. Yeah. So we have Anna Paquin here, and she won't say a word. She uh, doesn't say a damn word. Before I go into number five, um, just two things I want to make note of. Um, Jesse Plemons is a chonk, chonk, chonk king. That I love. Well, Jesse Plemons, anyone could have played Jesse Plemons' role in this movie. I did not understand why he was in the movie, criminally underused. And as someone who loves Jesse Plemons, I was just like, I mean, it's it's nice to see you working, but good lord. It was just the way the movie was. Like Bobby Cannavale, Ray Romano, I thought they were criminally underused as well. Um, Stephen Grant. I felt like out of all those guys, Ray was given the most to do to work. He with. was. No, no, for sure he was. Uh, I love Stephen Graham, the Tony Pro, him him and Hoffa. I, I want a short film called like I don't know. Tony Pro versus Jimmy Hoffa, where we do like an, Tony uh, Pro. a Black Widow thing. We know they're both dead, but we're going to give you a little bit of time, and we're going to have them <laughs> in jail. It'll be a good, good buddy movie. Um, but no, but um, I, you know, Irishman was controversial, but I enjoyed it. Um, watch it if you can. So I'll go into number five. I know that's where we were going. Um, just before I say my list, I would like to note that Gangs of New York is not on it, and it was hard not putting it on it. Do you want to do you want to do this like you give your number five and then I give my number five? We'll just work our way to number one. I was thinking yes, and I'll kind of just okay. Uh, or like Let's if um, or what we can do um, is I can give my number five, and if it's on your list, tell me which number it is, and we can just both talk about it at the same time. If that makes oh, sense. Okay. 
Okay. So we don't have to yeah. like go back and forth. That might, but it's gonna spoil my list, though. Oh, my I, I know it's kind of like spoiling this the list. Stressful. Kind of this is way. stressful. Um, number five for me is Casino. Um, I don't know if it's on your list. I love Casino. I think um, it's a movie that first introduced me to Vegas. It it was one of these movies that I was like, okay, I've seen Scorsese's films. Let me get into Casino, and I loved it. Uh, Joe Pesci, um, electric. I mean, come on. I mean, just. It just it was interesting to see. I felt like I watched a movie to where I was upset to see Pesci versus De Niro because I felt like they, you know, obviously in the movie, you know, they kind of go against each other towards the end of the movie. But Casino, just an all around great De Niro performance. Um, it, a great casting by Scorsese. I love what James Woods brought to it. Sharon Stone, one of the best performances of the year that year. She was snubbed of an Oscar. She was this just she was so annoying, but just it was such a amazing performance by her. And it was just Don Rickles thrown in there, too. I mean, it was Don Rickles and De Niro controlling a Vegas casino. It was I mean, it was all I could ever want out of Robert. (laughs) And he hosted a talk show. He didn't get killed during the talk show, but he hosted one. There you go. For you, Wesley, was that on? No, it wasn't. If it was, if if it's on your list, I'll let you know. Cool. Okay, you want to go number five for you? All right, so number five for me is The Departed. And I know that yes. might that feels probably low, but <laughs> I have a very different outlook on Scorsese, and I have just a different taste in film in general. The Departed, probably one of my all-time favorite ensemble cast performances. I mean, you start running through who's in this movie, and you, I mean, you start getting a headache. You got Mark Wahlberg, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Alec Baldwin, Jack Nicholson. I mean, it just and if you start going through even some of the side oh, characters, what's her movie, name? It's Vergara, uh, Vergara. Oh my god, I can't, remember I can't even. I can't remember. But they, so you have a phenomenal cast. You've got a director on the top of his game. It, it, it's 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 such a fun ride, uh, and it's 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 one of these movies. Whenever you Vera go through Mika. Vera for yes, Vera. Uh, for, oh yeah. my god, what a she she's phenomenal in it. Uh, it's it's just any it's one of those movies. Anytime it's on, I gotta sit back and watch it. I don't even care where it is in the movie. I can if it's on like FX or something, it can be playing for an hour. I'm fine. I'll pick my, it up wherever it's on and ride it all the way through. It's such a fun time. That is that is my number three, um, which is okay. Uh, I love talking about it at the same time. I um you know what I love about the movie. One of the best scenes. One of my favorite scenes ever. Uh, when it's Jack Nicholson <laughs> trying to get the truth out of somebody at a Leo, and he talks about the rat, the, the nibbling, teething rat. I uh, he improv that. I loved that whole scene. I loved that was Jack. Uh, that's the best performance of the decade for Jack Nicholson um, by a landslide. Um, just a great movie. I mean, you, you throw. I mean, I, I'm a Leo is my favorite actor. Um, you you throw him in anything, and I think it's going to work. And then you add Matt Damon, and you mention ensemble cast. I mean, Martin Sheen does a great job as well. Just that is an all around great movie and highly rewatchable movie. It is. It really is. What's your number four? My number four um, is uh, the Irishman. So it's the Irishman. Wow. Uh, okay. You know, we just talked about it. Um, love the genre. Love the film. I can't wait to rewatch it again. I when I see movies a second time is really when I can definitive, definitively place them anywhere. Um, 
in my opinion, I think movies are best watched twice and given some time to think about them. Uh, but for now, The Irishman number four, I don't think it'll move up or down, really. I think that's a good place for it. Um, I just love the send-off. I love that Scorsese got these guys together. I love... I just I love what he did here. Um, not one of his not one of my favorite directed movies from Scorsese, but as a whole, that's that's what we're talking about here. So as a whole, I think the cast really propped it up. So big Irishman fan here. Your number four. My number four might be your number one. So I hate. I to hate you. <laughs> I my number four is Goodfellas, and uh-huh. I just lean on Goodfellas anytime I want to think about that quintessential gangster pick. You want to talk about performances you know there's so many to choose from when you talk about Scorsese and De Niro uh just one of if not the greatest director actor sort of tandem uh, in the history of cinema and for me personally I mean there's there's Raging Bull there's uh Cape Fear which is sort of out of left field then there's Goodfellas and Goodfellas is like to me it's like old reliable it's like you just it, it's it's something that that you can always lean back on. And it was obviously a huge inspiration uh, for a generation of of filmmakers and for Scorsese himself, in my opinion, uh, from a directing standpoint, I think it's, it's, it's the best, the best he's ever done. Uh, But now again, these lists being just our own personal favorites, uh, but in terms of jobs of direction, uh, it might be his best directing job. Um, one I, of the most quotable movies. Uh, I mean, there, there's just, there's so much to unwrap with this movie. Uh, and uh, again, my list is a little weird. I've got Goodfellas okay. before. I'm sorry. That's okay. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. I love talking about it. If I could talk about this with people listening, I'm happy. Definitely my number one. I mean, it just pulls you in from the start. I mean, you, you see Henry Hill and then he just, as far as I can remember i always wanted to be a gangster and then just the music hits and it's henry hills uh, it just takes you on his his life's journey and he's still a young guy and it. it's such a great movie it's stuck with me it is a performance i think you, people look back on it joe pesci won for best supporting and he deserved it ray liotta got snubbed in my opinion um he did. He i'm did. not advocating for ray liotta i i know he is a iffy actor come on i know he is but in that ah, man those, I, I, he's so I'm, uh, he's so good in those movies though where it's just I mean, like he, I, he's made to play those kind of characters you know and, we and look, that's god he was at the top of his game we look and in the, in the i love ray Liotta. i mean just from start to finish you watch Liotta Li, uh Liotta go crazy you watch henry hill go crazy you watch him turn into a to a rat uh jimmy conaway told him the two rules right you never Never rat on your friends, n- never snitch. Basically, basically the same rule, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, you see him get to that point. And I, what I also love most about this movie is Lorraine Bracco, robbed as well as Karen Hill. Give me a gangster movie where we've really seen it from the eyes of a female. Really, and you really can't. Yeah. I mean, Lorraine Bracco, Karen Hill did the narration of this movie as well. She talked about their personal life. It wasn't just Henry Hill getting lost in the drugs and kind of going off his beaten path. It was Karen Hill talking about, I was attracted to it. I knew it was wrong, but I loved it. And I knew he had this going on. And it it was just a beautiful, I just loved the whole thing. I think it's, it's a fast paced ride when he's driving in the car, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The track, one of my favorite shots when they, when he walk, when they walk into the bar 
and it tracks the whole. Oh, yes. And you see oh, everybody. I love that scene. The The entire scene, I mean, Joe Pesci, it was improv Joe Pesci, and you're a funny guy. How am I funny? How? Please, if, am I a clown? Do I amuse you? And and the guy comes over with the bar tab, and he this you owe me seven thousand dollars, and <laughs> and he smashes the glass over his head, and he goes, yeah, you know, do you think that's funny? This kid, this this dude asked me to christen his kid last week. Yeah, I charged seven thousand. Like it's just it's it's a funny movie. It's it's got everything you want. Um, it's just, in my opinion, might be a hot take. I don't think it is. I love The Godfather, but I think when you think crime movies, mob movies, I think it is Goodfellas and The Godfather. And I think that is a debate. I think that's a debate you can have with people. And I don't think it's wrong on either side. I, I just, it, it's a great all-around movie. It's Scorsese's best directed film, in my opinion. It's my personal favorite film. Also, that is one of Samuel L. Jackson's first movies. Just have to throw that out there. That is why you're right. R.I.P. Samuel L. Jackson should have should have uh, should have should have not left the truck in the middle of. That's uh... another cool thing that that movie was. It gave you that. That's a true story. That's another cool thing about that movie. Um, so you gave that was your number four. That was my number four. That was my number one. So. I will give my number. This is a very discombobulated. No, no, we good. No, 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 we're good. Because <laughs> I, The Departed was my number three. So, we, okay. what is your number three? Um, my number three is Shutter Island, and yes, yes, I love Shutter Island. You want to talk about again the pairing of DiCaprio and Scorsese? Obviously, one of the all-time great tandems. We talked about De Niro and Scorsese, uh, but Leonardo pretty active with Scorsese as well. He's got the aviator under his belt, Gangs of New York, something that was left off of your list. Uh, him and Scorsese operate really well. And then, of course, uh, there's The Wolf of Wall Street. So they, they've made their fair share of movies. Shutter Island, though, just I love a good, tense psychological thriller. And th- these movies aren't made very often. And you watch Shutter Island, you get some great performances, a great, a great secondary performance from Mark Ruffalo as you're sort of love watching... Mark. Watching Leonardo DiCaprio slowly unravel mentally, I I love that movie. I love it so much. It's another one where it's it's that's a fun one to revisit, and it's one that I feel like has become more appreciated since it initially came out. I think at first a lot of people were a little, I don't know, kind of soft on it, but over the course of the last decade, it's. It, it it's it's aged very well. That's the thing about a lot of Scorsese's. That's the thing of a lot about his movies, and they're incredibly incredibly rewatchable. You could rewatch a lot of them. Shutter Island. I mean, don't even think about Ben Kingsley. Yeah. I love Ben, He's ben Kingsley. Really in good movie. in it. And you know, that's another movie that narrowly made my list. I mean, look, anything Scorsese, it's really the top of my overall list. And I, again, you you mentioned psychological thrillers. This is a movie I think of at the top of at the top of my list, and I great movie. Um, John Carroll Lynch is in it. John Carroll Lynch um, oh. is 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 one of the best character actors working today. Yes, uh, you guys might not know that off his name. You won't remember the name, but you'll you, remember you know the performances. Um, Zodiac, Shutter Island. Um, he was in, I think he was in, um, he was in The Highwayman, he was in The Founder, he's, he's in a lot of odd movies and small roles, and he's just, he's great too, but, um, just, yeah, it's a very good movie, so let me go to 
My number two, my last of my list, and you mentioned it, it's Wolf of Wall Street. So the thing about Wolf of Wall Street is this is our personal list. So I know that Wolf of Wall Street is not Scorsese's best directed film. I know that. I, I really do. I, I do. But the thing about Scorsese, I said it, I'll say it again. I love getting encapsulated in his movies. I love, I love thinking that I'm walking with the camera and watching this all happen, or I am there in this office watching that movie. And another thing about this movie is the older generation of Scorsese fans, they don't care for this movie. I understand why. I was, you were as well, Wesley. We were both 18 years old when this movie, 19, 19 years old. I mean, we. I wanted to be Jordan Belfort for three hours. How could you not want to be Jordan Belfort? I, mean, I come saw on. it. I saw it on a first date. Yes. And, you know, opening scene. You. Opening <laughs> scene. DiCaprio snoring a line of coke out of a woman's butthole. I look over to my date. And I'm like, this is going to be a long night. Like, <laughs> we, I saw are- that movie. I saw that movie three times in the movie theaters. Oh I enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed it so much, and that was a movie. That I enjoyed so much because I, I like take you back. I saw it three different times. I saw it um, two different times with two different sets of friends, and I saw it with my parents. So that that was a fun ride too. And um, I mean, look, that movie is it's so fun. It is Scorsese's funniest movie in my opinion. Oh, most uh, I, I love Leo. You sprinkle in the fact that this story is out of the park. If you guys have time, I got the book. Because I loved it so much. I read the book. All that stuff is true. That is insane. That is a true story. It is documented that he tried to force his boat through a basically a tsunami to get to the Swiss bank. And he crashed his boat. And then the plane blew up that was coming to get him. That's all true. <laughs> um, I love me some Kyle Chandler, right? I mean, everyone. Who doesn't love Kyle who Chandler? Who doesn't love Kyle Chandler? That scene on the boat. He's just... You know, go go home to your ugly wives. He's just throwing the money. It's just like ultimate, like, hey, you know, I got, I got, screw you, money. It took me into this story. Jonah Hill. I mean, come on, I love Jonah Hill. You don't love Jonah Hill as much as me. That's fine. I love Jonah Hill. And I do love Jonah Hill though. Smoke, just smoke crack with me, bro. Smoke crack with me, and <laughs> you know, yeah, it's I'm if my if you know I'm married to my cousin, and if uh, my kid has a defic- deficiency, I'm gonna let him go free and run wild. That's just like, it's such a funny movie, a Hilfa. Like I can just keep quoting it. Cause it's, and then I, um, I just, I love that movie so much. And it's a movie that it's more on the story. It's more on the, the chaos that ensued in this guy's life. And I think Scorsese wanted to tell it. He did a good job of, uh, of telling it. I mean, you look at Kyle, Ch- Rob Reiner's in it. Uh, John Bernthal. I love yes. Bernthal. And, Oh, they have that whole debate about it when he gets out of the car and he gets arrested. And he's like, you know, what what, what do the people in, you know, Fsville do when their emperor's gone? You know, what, what's going on? The chaos is pillaging in the streets. What is going on? <laughs> like, it's just funny movie. I could quote it all day. I will watch it if it's ever on TV, bleeped out somehow. Uh, Margaret Robbie, this was the first time that we saw Margaret Robbie. I think this launched her career. I mean, I think that's fair to say. Uh, just a great cast, um, a funny movie, a quotable movie, and something that is just going to stick with me forever. Again, I'm going to wrap this up as quick as I can. I know it's not tech- <laughs> it's not the taxi driver of Scorsese, but it's it's just something that I love the story, and I love that he was able to have a real fun time telling that story. There you go. I'm done. It's a it's a it's <laughs> definitely a wild ride. Um, so I. I 
my number two movie. I don't even know if you've seen this one. And I only recently saw it this past summer. But I became instantly enamored with it. More so than I have been with really every other Scorsese movie outside of what's number one on my list. And that movie is Bringing Out the Dead. Scorsese pulls a complete 180 in the late 90s and makes a movie about a about an EMT worker no, who's slowly I... losing his mind. It, it, it's it's got and, and look, um, as people will learn, we're huge Nick Cage fans yes. here on this podcast, and Nick Cage is just excellent in this movie. Uh, as you see him sort of slowly begin to unwind, th- this movie it does not fit in, in my opinion, with most of Scorsese's work. Now Scorsese obviously has a huge love for New York and it's very evident in this movie as well. But the backdrop that New York plays to this story, uh, it it feels more diabolical than it normally feels. Uh, It's not as much a love letter from Scorsese as it is sort of one of caution uh, and one of terror. And my God, it is one of those movies that you turn on. And as soon as it was over, I was like, I don't want to like, overreact but i want to watch it again like right Mm -hmm. now because i was just like i i I was so caught up in cage's performance and uh, i i i'm I'm thoroughly convinced cage had about a five-year span from like 97 to 2002 where he did his absolute best work uh and this movie falls right in the middle of it uh it's it's creepy it's, in my opinion, one of the closest things we're ever going to get from Scorsese uh, when it comes to maybe doing something a little bit on the uh, horror side a little bit. Uh, it, it's not a horror movie by any stretch of the imagination, um, but there's some things that he does in this movie that really uh, strike up the, the, the tense factor, sort of, sort of like Shutter Island. Uh, it is a fascinating watch. And it stand it sticks out in my opinion on his filmography, but my God, if I didn't love it, and then that's uh, uh, John John Goodman's in it, right? John Goodman is in it, and it's yeah. a young it's a young John Goodman. It is man, I you, you need to watch it. I think you would really like it. I I do want to watch it. I, I like I said, I love Scorsese, so I know about I know about all these films that I haven't seen. So I you know I just and you mentioned ninety seven to oh two. It's actually ninety seven to oh four. He wrapped up his stretch with. National Treasure one. What is your? <laughs> it's a very good movie, and I hope people see this list and they they go see these movies because you mentioned Bringing Out the Dead. That is a movie where people think Scorsese. Scorsese they're not going to think that movie, but I mean, you mentioned. I mean, that is a Scorsese has done a good job of finding these interesting books because this is another one of his movies yeah. that is based on a book, and he takes. I think there's. I mean, it's not original screenplays, but he has this talent of taking books and taking stories and bringing them to life and just really, you know, making them stick with you. So there you, you know, where, where, wherever you want to take us next, Wesley. Well, my, my favorite Scorsese movie, uh, number one on my list. And again, not necessarily something people, you know, write home about whenever they're talking about Scorsese, but my, my favorite Martin Scorsese movie is Hugo. And I love Hugo because 
of, for one, how it's sort of, I don't know, maybe bucked the idea that Scorsese couldn't do, couldn't make kind of like a magical movie. This couldn't movie has, this movie, movie has a very, this movie has a very Spielbergian feel to it. It has that Amblin feel to it. And in my opinion, it's the passion project that sticks out even better than The Irishman. This is a movie about Scorsese's love of movies. And it's got a phenomenal ensemble cast, a great performance from a young Asa Butterfield. Uh, but you've got Christopher Lee in there, one of his final roles before he died. Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, another pairing with Ben Kingsley in it. Uh, just, my God, just some beautiful visuals. One of those movies that, I, especially over the course of the last decade, really since Avatar came out, that created this 3D craze. One of the few movies that really utilized 3D very well. And leave it up to Martin Scorsese to find a way to incorporate 3D to where it helps his story. Uh, if you haven't seen Hugo and you are a movie fan, it's something you need to watch because you will gain an appreciation for cinema and you, you will see a master of cinema really write his love letter to the thing he's committed his life to because that's what hugo is hugo is a very personal film for scorsese uh and it's it's got his stamp on it and he does things that you weren't even that i'm not going to say you may have ever doubted he could do but he just he does things in this movie that he'd never done before in his career and he hasn't done since so it's a it's hugo a it's, is my favorite scorsese film you mentioned passion project there's probably a little bit of Hey, I can I can do something else, right? It's amazing. I remember yeah. Scorsese about this. This was a movie that was, if if memory serves me right, it was the most nominated at the Academy Awards that year. Yeah, I think it got a Best Picture nom, didn't win, but it got one. Uh, I think it was eleven nominations. Um, just for a movie like that, if you cover up who the director was, you would never guess Scorsese. So it's super cool that he was able to bring these people together to do something that was a 3D movie that was, like you said, his passion project. I mean, just incredibly cool. I've never seen it. I know a lot about the film. I just haven't gotten to it. But I just, it's, I, I respect that pick from you because it's it, it's a movie that so many people have talked about. They love this. The, the, apparently it was one of the best scores of Scorsese's career. Oh, my God. Scor yeah. Scorsese loves music, but people go back to, I mean, uh, okay, he loves music, but I hear every every his favorite song is "Give Me Shelter." That is confirmed. Or Dropkick Murphys shipping up to Boston <laughs> in The <laughs> Departed is what I think about. But when you look at it from a movie perspective, Hugo is probably the it's it is said to be the best scored movie that Scorsese's ever put together. And I think you know I, I think it's just he put together a movie that probably a lot of people would have never guessed that he would have been able to put together. And he completely knocked it out of the park. Uh, and speaking of knocking it out of the park, Andrew, I think that's what we did with this first episode, man. We're at the finish line. I think we hit a home run. We did well. This was it, this was so fun, a, a blast. And I I hope people will see this, uh, hear this, because um, I mean, look, you're you are listening on Anchor, which also means you are listening possibly on Spotify or Apple. We go straight there, so be sure to check us out on those platforms. Everyone loves Spotify. If you're basic like me, you shared your top 2019 on your Instagram. So you have Spotify. <laughs> I know you do. I know you have Spotify. So find us on Spotify. Listen to us. 
Yeah, listen to us. If you have any suggestions of things that you'd like us to review, things you'd like us to make list of, things you'd want us to talk about, don't be afraid to uh, to shoot us a message, and uh, we, we, we'd love to incorporate it. But, uh, yeah, so here we are at the end of our first episode. This has been Take Two with Wesley and Andrew. Everyone, I, I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, I guess we'll see you next time. See you next week.